I'll have to move this down a chin now. It's, uh, I ate too much and I'll be breathing so hard you'll hear my, my laboring breath if I'm not careful. I appreciated the good meal and the good fellowship and I appreciated your comments and uh, the good questions many of you ask and they're thought-provoking and some of the stories that you shared with me uh, are helpful and kind of letting me know where you are and the great things that you're doing and how you navigate some of these these matters and it's uh, it's a great thing to um, to be in Christ and to be able to share this journey together. And may I just pause here and say when we're talking about um, these topics, anxiety and depression, that for those who have struggled with anxiety and depression, either or both, um, and that you are here present, I hope that you'll feel um, less alone than you have throughout your life. And I hope you'll help educate us as to some things that we can do to help. And um, those of us who maybe haven't struggled with those things in the past, uh, there have been some of us who uh, during this pandemic have had not only experienced depression or anxiety, but some have had to concede and say, I've got to have something to help me and have taken medication. And when we talk about depression particularly, um, a lot of times the only answer to addressing the level of depression that someone might be experiencing would be medication. And though we're not gonna spend all of our, our time going into that aspect of it, I wanna say that up front, that uh, if your, your body doesn't produce the level of of chemical distribution that would make you uh, normal in the sense that you would not be pressed down with despair, then you've got to get it somewhere. And if your diet body doesn't produce it, it's like a person who's a diabetic and their uh, pancreas doesn't produce the insulin they need, guess what? They've got to have the insulin. And uh, so they may have to take pills or an insulin shot to get that balance up so they can function. And so it's not a reflection on your faith for you to be depressed, but it might be a reflection on your faith if you're not willing to do anything about it and you're not willing to address it when there's the ability to do so. And like any, like insulin or anything else, any medication has some side effects. And so there's always gonna be trade-off. It doesn't matter what medication you take. Um, there are trade-offs with that. But what will make us as functional as we can possibly be, to be as useful to the Lord and to our families and to experience as much of life the way God designed for it to be as we can, I consider it a blessing of God. That we live in a, a time when we've made advancement. Like anything else, it can be abused. And some people just use it as a crutch. But that's true with anything, isn't it? Um, we can use it as a crutch or an excuse. But I want to take this context to say, the discussion we're about to have with depression, I hope we had a different place. There's been some of you who've sat through sermons that have implied, not intentionally by the preacher, that you sat through sermons that have kind of implied that 
if you're depressed, it's because you don't have enough faith. We'll talk about that in more detail in the final session. But I hope you see the number of people who are present here that have a little different perspective today and are willing to help you make that journey. Uh, but you have a responsibility. Now that you, we're all public with it, talk to us. You have a responsibility to really tell us how you feel. And you need to anticipate something going forward. Is now that we know how you feel, we're not going away. We're going to keep knocking on your door till you answer it. And if you pull those shades so that we can't see where you are or what you're doing in your life, we're going to keep knocking on the door because we don't want you to feel that way. We don't want that to be perpetuated or multiplied. And so we want to make that journey with you now. And so uh, I hope that that's how you feel. And I hope those of us who are at a different place in our understanding will never go back to where we used to be and just make this a secret that we keep, <clears throat> that we just whisper about, that we tiptoe around each other and say, shh, they're depressed. If you don't, if you say anything about it, it might make them cry. So let's just not talk about it. Don't, don't bring it up. I hope now we want to talk about it. I can tell you being isolated for those months, I want to talk to everybody. You know, I go in the post office. I've always been a friendly person, but man, I want to talk to folks. I haven't seen folks in so long. I, I want to know what's going on in their life and uh, whether they caught any fish or not or even able to go fishing anymore. I want to have conversation. And so we ought to have that kind of mindset here. This particular hour, 40 minutes or so, we want to talk about normal depression. And again, don't want to bore you with the details of those things, but you need to understand the, the immediate context. You know, we are, as we mentioned this morning from, from Psalm 130 and verse 14, we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. But there are times when either genetically or because of injuries or circumstances of life that are beyond our control, we uh, have some malfunction in those areas. And so with that in mind, <clears throat> I want us, there's a little on and off button here and it, it really makes a difference if you, uh, if you turn it on, just for future reference. <clears throat> when we think about how we're made, depression is partially and, and particularly a a chemical imbalance and it's a, a brain function. In other words, our, our brain is designed in such a way that it releases the chemicals we need for the circumstances we're under and kind of keep that balance so we can just look at life and experience life and react to life. We can uh, fulfill even scriptures that we are to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. There's a little contrast there, isn't it? Now, how do you get to the point where you can rejoice with those that rejoice? Well, there's, there's something that happens to us that allows us to be euphoric because they are euphoric. That we're excited because they are excited. Well, how do we get to that point? We learn the news. We get excited. 
because we're fearfully and wondrously made and, and that uh, thymol uh, campus releases the right kind of chemicals and it's dispersed throughout our bodies and those little neurotransmitters make sure that we have the special amount of serotonin and, and uh, neuronephrine and uh, dopamine that, hey, I'm excited for you. That's something you've worked really hard for and that's a great achievement. I am so excited for you and mean it because we feel it with them and for them. And we're designed that way. We are in a, a time when blessings and cursings with, with uh, news media, but uh, nothing happens in the world that we're not exposed to. And here's what you probably noticed that I've noticed. That there can be a, a person on the other side of the world. They can be in Pakistan. Maybe an earthquake has occurred and a building has collapsed. And, and here's a parent who's uh, obviously holding a lifeless body of a child. And they're rocking back and forth. And they're wailing. You know what I do? I feel myself rocking back and forth with them. I don't speak their language. I don't share their religion. I don't experience their life. But I know what they're feeling. And we share the same kind of emotional shedding of tears. We're designed that way. And so when, when all is working like it's supposed to work, it's released at the right time for the right reason so we can experience those things and make sure that we handle life as it comes. Sometimes that doesn't happen that way. And our body overreacts. And sometimes it'll release too much cortisol and cortisol is kind of that little chemical gets dumped during that fight or flight kind of experience where our, our adrenal gland says, okay, you need some uh, dose of energy here to, to react and to move. And if we get into those depressive cycles where we don't have the right balance, we don't respond the right way over a period of time, and that cortisol continually is released continues released and all of a sudden now it's not working for us and now not only do we not feel like we should feel but now it starts physically breaking down our body starts physically affecting us and in every sense of the word becomes harmful to us so if we have these discussions and maybe you have a loved one who who has to take medication to make sure those things are, are right. Don't put them in a position where they've got to please you and do without the medication. And then their body has to react in a negative way. And everything starts breaking down. It won't get better on its own. It has to be addressed. So what's normal kind of depression? When we think about normal, and we throw that word around a lot, but... <clears throat> And that is, under most circumstances, with most people, this is what it's like. When things happen that sadden us, there's a reason for, they, for them to sadden us. A passage found in Nehemiah chapter 2, when here's Nehemiah in captivity, and 
Just that alone, we'd say, boy, I'd be sad all the time if I was a captain. And he didn't appear to be sad all of the time. Evidently, from the king's reaction, Nehemiah wasn't a typically sad person. And Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 2, the king specifically asked him, what has happened to thee, Nehemiah? In fact, he said, why is thy countenance sad? Seeing you aren't sick. <laughs> In other words, there's not a physical, obvious reason for you to look the way you look. So evidently, even as a captive, a, the cupbearer for the king who, who had to serve a foreign leader, he evidently normal, uh, in his normal circumstance of life, was a pleasant person. Even in those circumstances, he must have had a pleasant disposition. And the king immediately knew the difference. What's going on, Nehemiah? You don't look the same. Here's this foreign king who had a cupbearer, and he was observant enough to say, okay, something going on with you. Not our purpose in this seminar to spend time on that, but the king even teaches us a lesson, doesn't he? We want to pay attention. When there's obviously something going on with folks, what would be wrong with saying, there's something I can, you want to talk about? That does a number of things. It lets him know, I pay attention to you. You're important to me. And there appears to be something bothering you, and I care. To me, that's what the king was saying. Okay, Nehemiah, your disposition doesn't look the way it normally looks. And to my knowledge, you're not physically ill. Why do you look sad? Now, in this case... Nehemiah, he was afraid, obviously, because he's a captive. And he has a responsibility, and his responsibility is to make sure that anything the king drinks is not poisoned. <laughs> that he's going to be healthy. Now, if he gets, if, if uh, uh, Nehemiah is sick, and maybe that was the king's point, you know, you're not sick because you haven't drank anything that killed you yet. And so, whatever the reason might be for that, he said something different about you, Nehemiah. And he said, Nehemiah was afraid. So there's that little anxiety piece to say, yikes, you know, I've drawn attention from the king and uh, maybe I should have worked a little harder on how I look. We'll talk about mass depression here in a minute. But he said, do I not have a cause? And he described the conditions of his homeland, his city. How everything had been destroyed and it was in rubble. That's why I'm sad. There's generally some reason why a person feeling the way they feel. And we might, through that explanation of the context, be able to address some things, but we never have the conversation. Even if we notice if we're too afraid to say anything, and the conversation never takes place, what would have happened, you suppose, if the king hadn't asked Nehemiah? Well, we certainly know the Holy Spirit revealed this, this book, and so we know the context did happen. When you think about that, it's pretty significant, isn't it, that the king noticed. Never had the conversation. Maybe the city would have still been in rubble. Somebody else might have been raised up to do it, but it might not have been Nehemiah. But here's the king asked the question, and Nehemiah responds. So it describes to us this normal context of depression. He looked different because he felt different. And he felt different 
because he'd gotten nude back from his homeland and everything is in rubble. Now you and I live in different geographical locations and, and I've lived in a number of different geographical locations and every location has its own little uh, ecosystem. And when I lived in the south, we uh, part of south I was from, you had tornadoes. And so, boy, you got to pay attention to the clouds and the warnings and got to stay safe. Those kind of matters. You live a little further south and they have hurricanes. And so you've got to move away from the area that might be affected and get out of the way of danger. Live in Colorado, you better pay attention to the snow because you can get trapped in a hurry and get caught in an avalanche or a snowstorm. So there are circumstances that we have to adjust to. And we might say if a, if a weather condition came and a, our hometown was leveled by a tornado and someone would say, what do you look so sad about? Say, do I have reason to be sad? I mean, every building that I ever knew growing up in my hometown wiped away. That's kind of Nehemiah's condition to say, here's what's been going on. And so this cortisol gets dumped into the system. He doesn't feel very good. He keeps hearing the same news that everything back home is just in total disarray. Sad. So the characteristics of this normal depression is this self-doubt and forgetfulness, anger and sadness. And Nehemiah had the sadness part. Activity patterns are upset. The loss of appetite and sleep. Probably a number of those things were at work with Nehemiah probably didn't sleep much because he's thinking about these things and maybe it affected his appetite but we do know that it did affect him from the standpoint of he said why is your countenance sad what's going on with you but because Nehemiah did open up about his we would say depressive state the king was able to help him in essence said what do you need what would it take to address it Sometimes it may just be that simple. If we would talk out loud about it, if we would have a conversation about it, there might be some things we could do about it. Might be some things that families could do to adjust and say, look, we're not going to just tiptoe around because one of us is, is depressed, but we're going to have ways that we can give them the space they need to, to adjust those things, but we're going to make sure that we encourage and take their medication, and, and we're going to try to participate with them in this process, and... And we're not going to have it a secret in the background and say, well, that's good. Another one of those depressive cycles, you know. Say, okay, what is it that we can do? Now, if, a, if you are the person dealing with that, you're going to have to speak up, even if you're a little afraid. Nehemiah did. And say, here's what's going on with me. I'm concerned about this. Or maybe even to the point sometimes you might say, you know, that level of medication is just not working the same anymore. It's okay. Nobody's going to feel, shouldn't feel less toward you because that's okay. Maybe we need to talk to the doctor about that. I don't know about you, but I've taken blood pressure medication for a while. And, you know, then they'll say, well, we've got to add a little bit to that. Well, what's that all about? Well, your body kind of gets used to it, you know, and... And so you've got to make sure that you get a little help here. Well, what's my option? If I don't take them, I have a stroke. I've had family members who have, so don't want to take that chance. It's going to make that adjustment. The same should be true in our dealing with 
with these matters. And we're talking about depression. So Nehemiah is a good example of what can take place if we just talk out loud about it. Maybe we can get help and assistance. And then there's that mass depression. Probably few people have given us more laughs than Robin Williams. Hilarious person. I mean, he couldn't seem to carry on a normal conversation without it being funny. I mean, he could take the most mundane things and just have everybody in stitches. How many people are just absolutely blown away when you found out, found out he'd taken his own life? You know, the, the headlines immediately pointed out for years and years and years. He suffered from depression. We would say, not Robin Williams. <laughs> Why? He masked it. He was funny. Uh, covering up how he really felt by being funny to other people. That happens a lot. You probably have family members that if people really knew what they struggled with, they'd say, no. Not, not him. Not her. She's, she's the most gregarious, jovial, positive person I know. Depression? How's that possible? They learn to mask it. And that's not a healthy place to be, not for them and not for their loved ones. It doesn't mean you just give in to the depression and say, well, I'm just going to be sad all the time. That's not what we're talking about. But we're trying to say you know you don't really talk about or engage with how you really feel there's a passage in proverbs 14 and verse 13 that says even in laughter the heart is sorrowful and the end of mirth is heaviness don't kind of those don't go together very well do they he said even in laughter the heart is sorrowful Weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. And when you try to put those together, it just doesn't seem to fit, does it? But why are they together? You're trying to cover up for how you really feel by putting forth a different image. And when you're talking about masking a depression, we're talking about self-inflation, self-sacrifice, Increased activities, weight gain or loss. Some of those people who are just go into a crowd and they just work the crowd. I mean, they're happy and they're joking and they're carrying on and and here's that self-inflation. You know, I'm I'm just in control person. I'm this happy person. I'm just bubbling over, and you really get to know them and think, no, that's not it at all. And what happens sometimes behind the scene is. They self-medicate. They find some drug or they get hooked on alcohol and they're just really trying to say, I don't feel this way anymore. And for at least a period of time, if I self-medicate, I don't feel that way anymore. And they go through these cycles over and over and over. And again, when we hear about it, we think, that's, that's not the person I know. Are you talking about so-and-so? 
Wow, I mean, they're the life of the party. And every time we have a fellowship meal, we are just in stitches. Listen to that person. And we find out privately they've been struggling. And maybe even contemplated taking their own life. You remember the definition we looked at with psychological depression? Being dejected. Hopeless. Despair. And that is, they look beyond where they are and they just really don't see anything positive. You see, we don't always get the help because that's not what we see. Because they have covered it up. And they've not allowed us to in and, and see behind the scenes. Those things become really a challenge. I'm assuming that's rain. And uh, I was going to say, I don't know how many chins to go down if that's, if that's the microphone of roaring that way. But I think the discussion that we have about these different kinds of depression ought to cause us to realize that we ought to pay a little closer attention that some of these symptoms that we might see in folks, again, don't take what I'm saying is licensed for us to intrude in people's lives. And for us to diagnose, okay, I know what's wrong with you now. Uh, Jerry Martin was in town and he told me that you are masking your depression. I got it figured out. That's not what I'm here for. But what I'm saying is for us to pay a little closer attention. If we are friends with people, be available for people. And be interested enough that we ought to be, at least be like a heathen king and say, all right, something going on with you? That's normally not how you behave. And if they are just overly jovial and it's just not the context for them being jovial, we might pay a little closer attention. And not cry or be personal, but just start paying attention. Okay, let's see what this pattern is about. And find out if there's something that you can help with, particularly if you know that when these times of, of high jovial behavior are usually followed by periods of time when you don't see them. Now likely you won't see the swing because they'll distance themselves from you when they are swinging the other way. They'll just disappear. Maybe they won't call you and you normally they would call you. Maybe you plan things and you do things together and they're always a lot of fun to do things with and all of a sudden they just didn't show up. And when you ask about it, say, well, you know, I kind of got tied up. You think, well, that's a little out of character. Hmm. If you're close enough friend, just say, let's just talk about that. Can we talk about that? Are you really okay? Are we close enough friend? Ask it out loud. Are we close enough friends that you would tell me if there's something going on with you that I could help with? Don't want to pry. But I'm not going to be bashful and not let you know I care. Is there something beyond you just got tied up? Not really like you to get tied up. You don't do that very often. There's something going on. Usually, particularly for self-medicating, they build in that time so you don't see them self-medicating. They get through that so they can say, okay, I'll go take another round of it. The depression isn't gone. In fact, when they self-medicate, the depression is worse coming out of it 
than it was before they went in it. But they got a little period of respite where they didn't have to think about it. And now they're going to go for another round. So here I am. I'm behind the scenes with the mask on and saying, when I go out on that stage, all right, they're expecting me to say, hey, how's everybody? Man, I missed you. I bet you were bored without me being here, weren't you? You're about like, yeah, where you been, man? And here we plug back in and here we go again. Same old person. Oh, we're glad you're back. We've missed you. Hadn't been the same without you. I know. I don't know how you live without me. You see the mask? But boy, they go as long as they can with that and, and they can't go any further. And until we identify it, I'm talking about not talking about me and you identifying and saying, I know what's wrong with you, but I'm talking about until we help people identify it. And feel comfortable just taking the mask off and say, I'm drowning here. I'm telling you, I don't know what's going on with me. But ever since X, Y, or Z happened, I, I just can't function. And here's what I've been doing. I've been self-medicating just to survive. And what would you do if they said, and I've contemplated, just ending it all. Mm. Well, let's talk about something else, okay? Oh, he, uh, we're not going there. If they were comfortable enough to verbalize with their own lips, it's been really, really bad, then you be uncomfortable enough to say, can we talk about it? And could you explain to me exactly what you meant when you said, end it all? You know what I would want to do? La, 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 I didn't hear that. I probably didn't mean that. He'd say, end it all like whatever it was going on in life. He didn't want that to continue, but he would, la, 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 don't want to hear that. Because if I hear that, then what do I have to do about it? You see, if they ever get to the point where they're comfortable enough with you or fatigued enough with the situation, take a mask off. Don't dare run from them. Don't be repulsed by them with a mask off because you don't recognize them. Because I'm here to tell you that's who they really are most of the time. And if they were comfortable enough with you and you've been kind enough to them for them to let you see, that's when you want to embrace them. And here's what I tell folks. Brother, sister, neighbor, Friend, you kind of drew a short straw. You got somebody that cares about you, and I'm not going anywhere. So if you're comfortable enough telling me where you are, even if I look uncomfortable, 
And if I am uncomfortable, I'll tell you I'm uncomfortable, but please don't stop talking. Because I really want to know. And I really want to help. And then be connected enough in your community to know where resources are. Medical doctors, counselors, ministers, elders, network of people that help you survive in life. Say, look, we've got a good group of men. They're not medical doctors and they're not licensed counselors. But they really care about your soul. Talk to them about it. If elders are are aware enough, then they're going to have connections in the community where maybe they have on retainer counselors who know how to deal with those things or medical doctors that they could go to like my sister was who could, could do those examinations, make sure you eliminate all the medical things that might be possible and then provide for them, even if it's at the resource of the church, to say, we'll address this together. You know, one of the most wisdom-filled experiences that leaders in the church can have is listening to the sheep. They can't experience everything. But they can empathize with folks when they're comfortable enough with their shepherd to say, here's who I really am. I want to be in a different place. When I try to do it myself, it gets worse. For them to embrace them and say, look, we'll do whatever it takes. And be okay and say, look, we don't really know how to address that particular issue, but we're going to be right here beside you, and we're going to find those who can. That's what we need to do when we're talking about these particular matters. Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. That's that mass. That's that attitude and disposition that says, you know what? <clears throat> People expect me to be this way. So if that is the case and you seek help and you receive medication, then what? Particularly when we talk about this normal and uh, mass depression. These are things that Generally speaking, mild medication can bring about that, that balance and maybe also some, some psychological counseling and some education of the family. Say, let's work together to make sure we're not working against each other. And maybe the whole family go in for counseling. Say, wait a minute, I'm not the one with a problem. If you're a family, you are. Uh, we're all in this together. So whatever it is we're dealing with, we're dealing with it together. So we'll go in and say, how can we make sure we don't enable behavior that shouldn't exist, while at the same time supporting the process of getting better? How do we do that? That might help the loved one to say, I'm willing to keep the mask off because we're going to all go in together. I'm not just the problem person in this family. We're going in as a family to get help. And then be educated and probably encourage that person to take that medication and to take it consistently. What happens if the medication that worked for this person who told you about it 
and you went to the same doctor, received the same medication, and it doesn't help you, then what? Does that mean that you really weren't depressed? No, it just means that particular medication didn't help that neurotransmitter release what it should release at the time it ought to release it in your body. But there might be another one that would. We do that with other medication. We don't think that's odd. In fact, we build in our response to it. If my wife has an infection, she'll go to the doctor and they'll give her penicillin. She's almost over it immediately. I'm allergic to penicillin. We could have the same infection. Go to the same doctor. You know what it says on my medical record? Allergic to penicillin. <laughs> it's going to be fatal if I get the penicillin. So guess what? I'll keep the infection. And we'll try something else. But when I get the infection, I'd like for it to be cleared up. So I'd say, well, you're out of luck. Can't take penicillin. No. Something else might work. Something else generally does work. Now, what we've discovered is whatever they give me to clear up the infection takes me a lot longer than it does to me. And she said that's because I'm a wimp and I just accentuate those things and she's got a real high tolerance of pain and she just doesn't complain about it. So that may be true too. But the key is this. Same condition. Have to take different medications. Let's be honest enough in this process to say, we're going to keep seeing the doctor until we get something that works. And let the doctor be the one to supervise it. Tell them exactly how you feel, what the uh, 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 response is, whether it's working or not working. Do not, listen to me, do not under any circumstances take yourself off of medication a doctor puts you on without the doctor's supervision. It could get you into serious trouble. So you see, when you add that to the chemical makeup of your body, your body adjusts to that. It places that in the, in the right order of things. And even if it's not working for you the way you need for it to work, it's working. And when your body makes those adjustments and you just take it away, then everything in your system starts saying, where is it? Where is it? And they start releasing other things and say, we've got to find out what's happening here. And you'll get in the crisis mode quickly. You might say, well, it's just not working. Okay. And you say that to your doctor to start with, this works, I want to keep doing it. If it don't, I want you to help me get off of it. And what they'll do is they'll start decreasing it and decreasing it and decreasing it. You're off of it. And when it's out of your system, then they introduce something else. There's a process to this. And so when you have that occasion, make sure that you use it wisely. We're going to spend a little time in the next session. We'll let you out of this one a little early. We're going to spend some time in the next session talking about <clears throat> neurotic and psychotic depression. If you've noticed with the anxiety and with the depression, we start out with those things that most of us deal with, and then we start addressing those things that not everybody deals with it. And we go from the, the least intrusive to the most problematic. So that we know that there are 
different levels of concern that we might have. And depending on where we are and what we're dealing with, we'll have some suggestions we can make on, on how to deal with those. So we'll take a quick break and we'll, we'll come back and start our, our fifth session. <clears throat>